Hello and welcome to From the Rooker End, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John and with me this evening is Mike. John, one unadulterated pleasure and privilege to be joining you. Hello. <laughs> oh, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, and we're here to relaunch and to finish something we started quite a while ago. We are joined brilliantly with his expert knowledge and massive enthusiasm for the history of Watford Football Club, Mr Ollie Wicken. Good evening, Ollie. Good evening, John. It's an adulterated pleasure to be with you because uh, I can't be with you in person. No, we can't be with anyone in person. Uh, and that's sort of why we, we've, we sort of pulled this this whole little project out of mothballs to finish it off. Because it was a beautiful thing that we did for a couple of years. Where basically we are trying to find 100 objects that define Watford Football Club. It started in the brain of Mr Mike Parkin. Mike, well, why? Why do we start this? It's a good question now, looking at the list. I think, why on earth did we start this? But I think what I wanted to do was somehow get something out there that shows the sort of sheer breadth of what it means to be a, a football supporter and more uh, more refined than that, the sheer breadth of what it means to be a, a Watford supporter. We all know by now it isn't just what happens on the pitch between 3 o'clock and 4.45 that, that defines your football supporting uh, life. It's a whole heap of other things and those things tend to be pretty random. Some are pretty fun, funny, some are pretty interesting, some are, are pretty out there. And I, I just thought it a good idea to get as many of them in one place as is physically possible. And a hundred sounded challenging enough, but also achievable enough. Yeah, and I think it would have been achievable if we'd kept our minds on it. But we have got a good opportunity to have a rest from it, to think about it again, uh, and to complete it with more input from you. Because the best thing about the objects we have so far in the list uh, is the fact that they have come from individuals uh, and how they tell their personal story about being a fan of Watford Football Club. Ollie, now why are we getting you on here? Well, well, you you are a man, like I said already, knows a lot about Watford history, uh, but you're involved with several projects to do with Watford and the the past. The first one, Hornet Heaven Podcasts, but also your big part of the Treasury team, the magazine that comes out three times a season. So what's going to happen in these Watford in 100 object episodes? Well, in each one, we will discuss 10 of the different objects. Firstly, we will revisit the 70 objects we've already added to the list. Then we'll finish the list off with the final 30. And we want to make the final 30 pretty spectacular. And that can only be done with your help. We need your memories and objects that are special to you as a Watford fan. And hey, you might be passionate about one piece of paraphernalia or merchandise like the folk at Watford Treasury. Please get in touch podcast at fromtherookerend.com or on social media at Watford Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. It's not going to be definitive, but we hope to get pretty, pretty close. There are rules. It cannot be in use anymore. It can be sat on your, your wall or sat on the, at the side, but it cannot be in use anymore. So when we started this list, we couldn't put in the old main stand, the old east stand, but we can now because it's not being used anymore because it's not there. And you can't have the same type of object in there twice. You can't have two T-shirts, two photos, two football boots. You cannot have it. You have to have a different type of item for every single object. That's what made it slightly more challenging, even though we were on the hunt for 100 objects. We want them to be your... They can be personal to your life as a Watford fan, or they can represent a part of the club's history, either a player or a significant event. So... Let's get on. Let's get into the list of Watford in 100 Objects. Object 1. 
Pierre Issa's stretcher. We talked about this last week on a podcast that we did with Adam Leventhal. He's recently interviewed Pierre uh, while he was over here with Olympiacos uh, when they played Arsenal. There's two sides to this subject. The first side is just how it sums up the Viali era. Yeah, it was back in back in two thousand and one, wasn't it? And looking back on that on that era now, we know how disastrous it was for a number of reasons, not just Viali, but also the the ill fated ITV digital um, collapse, which led to so many other other problems for for Watford. But it was just such a chaotic, calamitous time, wasn't it? And chaotic and calamitous probably describes the couple of minutes that uh, the 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 experience that befell Pierre Issa that uh, that evening, Watford v Birmingham, two thousand and one. Pierre Issa stretched it off after an injury. Dumped unceremoniously on the edge of the pitch as one of the stretcher bearers slipped in front of the rookie. Absolutely ridiculous, extraordinary. One of those moments you had to pinch yourself and and question whether you actually saw what you what you saw. Just horrendous for for Pierre Issa. Toe curlingly embarrassing to watch as a, a supporter. But yeah, just summed up absolutely perfectly. I think the carnage that was enveloping Watford at that time. He was a South African born, um, but of Lebanese descent footballer, and he arrived in Watford in two thousand and one was with us for a season 15 appearances of which this was one and only scored the one goal before well as many players uh, of that year didn't quite stick around because things fell apart quite a lot for the club after that but the most important thing from this moment was the fact that it gave us as Watford fans Lloyd Doyley. Lloyd has been on the podcast many times over the last 10 seasons, uh, but there's a fantastic interview that we did. Uh, if you look it up on our uh, podcast feed, uh, it's called a special Lloyd Doyley behind the scenes, and it came out in November the 7th, 2014. And he took us basically behind the scenes uh, in the old main stand before it was redeveloped uh, in the changing rooms and we spoke to us about what life was like in the changing room at that point. This was recorded when Sean Dyche was the, the manager. And of course, we had to ask him about this very special moment where Pierre Issa's stretcher becomes part of Watford history. So that first game, Lloyd, was it Birmingham? It was. And there's an incident that happened in that game. Do you know what I'm going to talk about? Yeah, Pierre Issa got injured in the first 20 minutes and uh, he got stretchered off and he fell off the stretcher. (laughs) Do you remember that? I can remember that, but I was so excited and, you know, I didn't even have no time to actually warm up. I just meant straight on. I, I remember it because everybody was talking about it afterwards. Ah, Lloydy. Lloydy made his debut. He was waiting to come on as that uh, as that incident happened, I think I'm right in saying. I was in the rookery. It was a moment of release, really, because we'd been feeling so uncomfortable about the whole Vialli thing and we hadn't been able to laugh about it until that very moment when we laughed very hard and very loud because it was just an amazing piece of slapstick happening before our eyes. On the subject of slapstick, Lloyd Doyley. Oh, then Ollie, came that's, on. A, that's a bit <laughs> stiff. Club legend we're talking about here. Of course, I, I, I bow to no man in my love for Lloyd Doyley, but um, <laughs> there were moments, there were moments that Lloyd went on to, to have great moments of, uh, of slapstick and comedy in his career, the time he got sent off uh, with mistaken identity. But then moments of brilliance as well, of course, when he earned the name Lloydinho from the pass that he put through to Thomas Priskin. He was also called the Black Zidane, wasn't he, by A.D. Boothroyd. Can we agree on unorthodox then as a description as opposed to slapstick, uh, Ollie? I feel, a bit, I feel bad about leaving that one hanging in the air when we're talking about Lloydy. It's harsh, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> as I say, I bow to no man in my love for Lloyd, Lloyd Doyley. So here we are, 19 years later, 
Um, and Lloyd is still, he still feels part of the club. So in many ways, Mike, it, it, it is an important object to, to start this list. It defines so many things about the objects that we want to have in this list. But I think the fact that Lloyd doesn't really remember it uh, isn't, isn't a surprise, <laughs> uh, but we will remember it. Uh, and uh, it, it is significant in so many ways. I think it kickstarts the list properly. It sets the tone for the rest of them. Just the 99 to go now, gang. Stick with <laughs> us. But yeah, it's just that's exactly the sort of thing we're looking for. We've had our photo taken with that, with the very stretcher. So we've had our hands on it and can confirm it is a little bit slippery. So perhaps we'll cut the uh, cut the stretcher bearers a little bit of uh, bit of slack. But yeah, for me, it just it sums up that 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 part of that part of Watford history so well. And uh, plenty more objects like that to come. Object two is a special one for Jason, but it sums up some brilliantness that used to happen, and I really hope it still does happen, within families of Watford fans. Many years ago, the football club branded merchandise was available, but not as much as it is today. And Jason's mum decided that little Jason needed something special. I caught up with Jason to find out what that object was. So the object is a knitted Watford player from the very early 80s. Sort of the plain yellow shirt with the red red and black trim, red shorts. And he's got a mop of sort of brownish, orangish, curly hair. You'd think looking at him, he's probably more akin to a, to a Les Taylor. But when he was created, uh, he was christened Wilf. My mum said he was his likeness was to Wilf Rostron. I had no problem with that. Wilf was uh, certainly one of my heroes at the time. Uh, and he's been Wilf ever since. So my, my mum used to knit these sort of small fluffy toys, cuddly toys for um, my school Christmas fair. Uh, and she'd do, she'd do quite a few of these um, based on the same pattern. And she decided that, I think she had a, some spare wool left over and she decided she would knit a, a Watford player just for me as a, as, a, as a special treat. I was of the age, it was quite some time ago, so I was of the age where I appreciated these things. It was in a time when you, you didn't have masses of football merchandise and, and memorabilia. And so these sort of things didn't really exist unless someone took the, took the time and, uh, to create them. So that's, uh, that's what my mum did. He's not been too eventful, but he has he has had one special occasion as our Wilf, uh, um, where he actually got to the Palace Theatre uh, to meet his namesake. Um, it was one of Adam Leventhal's excellent uh, tales from the Vic shows at the Palace Theatre that he's been putting on for for Watford fans, and um, Wilf was one of the guests that evening. Little Wilf actually made it onto stage. Adam took him up onto stage and got presented to real wilf and the real wilf actually sat there i think for the whole of the second half holding on to little cuddly wilf <laughs> just 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 looking after him giving him a little bit of little bit of love for the evening so that was quite exciting for him and since then with with that he's also got into a book the got not got the lost world of football it's the second in the got not got series um, and for those of you with a, a nostalgic bent uh, i recommend you read it because it is really good lots of football gear, toys, memorabilia from the uh, sort of 70s and 80s. Uh, some fantastic stuff in there, uh, including our Wilf. Ollie, did, did your mum ever make anything for you to uh, help you be a happier Watford fan? She made me a Watford shirt. I think it was, uh, 
it was actually a Hull City shirt. So this was in 1968, and we were playing in plain yellow in the most utilitarian kit that you can imagine. Um, and you would have thought that she'd be able to find something like that. But she managed to get a Hull City shirt, uh, which was slightly on the orangey side and had a round black collar and black cuffs. And she put a number on the back and she won't be listening to this, so I'll be allowed to say it. Uh, she wasn't very good at sewing. <laughs> so I was given a choice of one number, which was a number that she could sew, uh, which was uh, the number one twice. <laughs> so I had to be number 11. And she sewed these two black uh, rectangles onto the back of the shirt. And even though I had no affection for Brian Owen whatsoever, <laughs> I had to be Brian Owen. And when I played in the park, people thought I was Ken Wagstaff from Hull City, which kind of mm. broke my heart a little bit. Um, but, you know, she did well and it was a good try. And uh, I think I had the, uh, the big red B badge on the front of it as well, which would have caused confusion for Hull City fans. But, um, yeah, so my mum made me that and that was nice. That's exactly the object, such personal objects to part of your life as being a Watford fan. So object number two is Jason's knitted Wilf Rostrand. Object three. Object three is, is an object I wanted to put in. Uh, it's, it it's represents the Junior Hornets. If you don't know, if you're not of uh, an age, um, you might not know how the Junior Hornets started. You can hear a lot about it in a podcast I did where I interviewed Anne Swanson. That's uh, episode 10.2, came out in July 2019. And basically... It, she created this thing with the guidance of, of Graham, and it was a it was a gateway to a lifetime of following the Hornets. It launched in the 1980s as Watford set the tone on the road to becoming the first genuine family club. I'm putting in my Junior Hornets card. I could have put in my Junior Hornets badge. However, I still use it. I still like to wear it every so often. It's uh, it's in my top drawer. I like it. And as we know, the rules of this podcast are you're not allowed to put objects that are still being used. If there's a special Watford game, I might have I might be wearing that one for no real reason, but somewhere in my head it, it it's it's lucky and might help. It was quite a thing, Mike. What if you, when you join the Junior Hornets? What, apart from the 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 badge and the uh, the card, what else would you get? Well, there's all sorts of stuff you got. You got the the pack, didn't you? Which as a kid back in those days, just getting stuff through the post was just such a joy, wasn't it? And a membership card belonging to a club was the thing we all dreamed of, wasn't it? As as kids, it was it was a different time, and it just felt it just made you feel connected to the to the club, and I, that's why I'm so pleased the membership card has gone in because I'm sure loads and loads and loads of us have still got our cards tucked away in bedside drawers or offices or in or you know in filing cabinets we'll all have kept them because i think we're, we're all so proud of them but all sorts of stuff happened didn't there you could do um there was little events that would take place um underneath that sort of family area at vicarage road in the in the east end wasn't there that all sorts of stuff would would go on there was uh, they used to do a sports day on the pitch which i remember which was absolutely um fantastic and i guess one of the the biggest things for for kids of our age back then was getting to go to to away games it just <laughs> It just opened up a whole world uh, of football, and and I think without without GT, without Anne Swanson, without the Junior Hornets, I don't think I'd have been allowed, quite frankly, to get involved with Watford at the age I did, and I don't think I'd be enjoying the 
well, I say enjoying. So, what's the what's better word? What better word for it? Sort of uh, dealing with the lifetime of being a Watford fan that I've uh, I've had so far. It just it, it just made you feel part of it. It made your folks, it made your parents feel comfortable that Watford were doing the right thing. And there was just so many magical memories attached to to, to that little yellow card. Absolutely brilliant. You can hear that whole interview, as I said, we go through what life was like, uh, what Anne did and, and how it almost changed the face of the club with the Junior Hornets. Uh, and that's episode 10.2 uh, from July last year. Object four. Mike, object number four comes <laughs> from you. And it's, it's, it's sort of you, but, but it, it, it's your brother more than anything. Yeah, so we all heard of plastic supporters. Well, this 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 object is a cardboard supporter, and it's yeah, it's a card. But basically, there's no way of dressing it up. It's a cardboard cutout of my brother. And the reason that this came into existence was 2005, 2006. Ad Boothroyd. No one expected Watford to be in the in the promotion shakeup. Least of all me. Least of all my brother. So he booked a holiday, and as Watford season progressed. They looked like they might be in with a chance of of getting promotion. Then they knew they're going to be in the playoffs. Then they got to the playoff final. The horrible realization dawned on my brother that his holiday meant he was going to miss the playoff final. Completely understandable, um, especially seeing as he had a, a particularly fiery girlfriend at the time. There was no way she was going to let him get off the hook and and attend the game. But Andy's like he he's really superstitious. If you met him these days, he's quite a cool guy. You probably would never ever have him down as one of these sort of super superstitious guys. But he he really is. So he was absolutely intent on being at the game somehow. So the only way we could think of doing it, this was before the days of sort of FaceTiming and WhatsApp video calling and all that sort of stuff. So the only way we could think of doing it was to print out a big picture of him in his Watford kit in a sort of triumphant pose, sort of arms aloft, fist pumping in a sort of supporting the team type pose. We printed it onto cardboard. We made two of them and we took them with us uh, to Cardiff for the for the afternoon. Now, it went really well. We sort of we sort of propped him up. In the, this, I mean, this sounds terribly geeky, but I had to do it for my brother. I felt so bad. He was <laughs> he was missing out on it. You know, he was he was enjoying some sunshine somewhere with his girlfriend. We were on a pack train to Cardiff. So you could argue. You could question who had the better time. But anyway, I wanted him to be there. So we took it there. Um, we paraded him around. We put him in the seat. We got pictures of him with the stewards. We got pictures with him by the side of the pitch and all that sort of stuff. So it all went well. We, we felt comfortable that Andy was was there, certainly in spirit. The only time it got a little bit weird was when a couple of times we were walking it round and people came up to me sort of holding up this cardboard cutout. And people come up to me saying, oh, I'm so sorry. When did he pass away? <laughs> so they thought it was some sort of tribute to to him because he, he he died and he, he absolutely hadn't and he absolutely hasn't he's he's still with us hello andrew uh, i hope you're well um yeah so it was weird that, it, that a weird sort of situation got even weirder when people actually thought it was uh, a tribute to, to to my fallen brother but yes a, 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 there was two of them one of them got absolutely mangled in the various celebrations that uh, that took place that that day and late into the uh, late into the evening but one of them survives and we've got it tucked away just in case Andy should ever have the misfortune to be uh, booked on a holiday when Watford have another another big game but yeah Cardboard Andy, object number four. It was, uh, Ollie, a, a great game uh, for Watford. It was the, the player final uh, against Leeds. It was just wonderful. Just It was easy to watch uh, for most, most of the game. It wasn't too too stressful. What do you remember about that, that trip to Cardiff? Oh, it was, it was, it was wonderful. I, I just wanted to, to make the point that uh, it, it's really lovely to have a cardboard Andy in the 100 Watford objects um, because I'm sure... Sh- pretty sure that in the next playoff final that we played in the 
cardboard entire team that Gianfranco Zola <laughs> mm. brought along. Won't get into the Watford uh, 100 objects. Now, the, uh, that, that playoff final was glorious. I, what I remember was that my kids were six and nine, um, and I took them along and I made them Watford T-shirts. The six-year-old, I just remember the look of complete bewilderment on his face when he heard 34,000 Watford fans going mad when Jay Demerit scored. And the look on the older one's face, he was nine, when he experienced for the first time what mass euphoria is like. And I think it's something that as a child, it's not just formative, but it's something that you never quite get over in a positive way. It's it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing that's ready to open up and that you're going to feel again, time and time again in the future. It was an absolute gift to two young children in that game. Object five. Object five is an Aveco truck. Why Aveco truck? Well, of course, it was the first club sponsor uh, that you saw right across the Watford players' shirts back in 1982. Ollie, my first memory of sports sponsorship was around about 86 when we played Crew. It must have been in the Cup. And I went up to Crew, and I was reading the Crew program, and they had sponsorships. And I saw that I could sponsor a Crew player's socks for two pounds. <laughs> so I sent them a check uh, for two pounds. I think it was two pounds fifty, so that they could send me the program with my name in it. Uh, once I'd done it, so I sponsored a player called Vernon Allen for his socks for two pounds <laughs> for the rest of the season. How did uh, how did Vernon do that year, uh, Ollie? I mean, this is obviously welcome to any crew listeners that have found us. By the uh, <laughs> how did how did they get on that season? Thanks to your uh, kind donation and sponsorship. Uh, this will sound rather heartless, but I, I didn't follow through on my interest to, uh, to, to find out how he was doing. Well, you, you know, have a job to do is to find out how he did and how the rest of that season went <laughs> and report back to us. But a quiz for you, gentlemen, Mike. This is yours, Ollie. You are allowed... You Ollie can be used only twice as a phone-a-friend, Mike. But okay. I want you to name all the Watford kit sponsors that came after Iveco. Right, so Iveco, Solvite. Yes. Do I have to name them in order? No, I won't know that. That's a bit, that's a bit too much. Okay, so Herald and Post. Yes. RCL, or whatever they were called, the travel... Uh, RCI. RCI, Okay, yeah. give me that one. Deadled, uh, Birda. Yes, you've jumped about 10 years. Oh, yes, <laughs> hasn't it? Yeah. No, more than that, even. Were Buckter a shirt sponsor at any stage? Uh, no. Toshiba. No. Toshiba, yes. Evolution HDTV. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Slightly. Famously. Yeah, infamously. Let me just think about this. Toshiba, who were the CTX? Yes. Uh, well, let's work backwards from what we've got. Football manager. You missed, you, not even work backwards. You missed like loads, Mike. Sports bet. Yeah, this is how my brain works, as, <laughs> as listeners will know. It's all over the place. Sportsbet.io. Yes. Football manager. I'm just trying to think about Arlo's shirts, but they don't have half them on because they're, uh, they're, they're um, gambling things. Something, whatever. FX Pro. Yes. Um. I'm just trying to think back to the uh, back to the earlier. Well, ones you've now got you've got one more from this Premier League stint. There's one that you haven't got from the Premier League so far. 
Who did we have on? Who did we? One three eight bet. Yes, they're the other one. I'm missing loads, presumably from from earlier on. Go on then, Ollie. Give give us one that I've missed, an obvious one. How about Blaupunkt? Very good. And uh, I'll give you a difficult one because I think you're struggling, Mike. So I'll give you a difficult one on the same shirt that was Herald and Post. The season uh, before that, we had Eagle Express. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Have I said the photocopier one, CTX? Yes, you have. Total, the petrol Total, petrol yes. People. Uh, we talked about the Boothroyd year when we went up. Loans, loans. Ducket, loans.co.uk. Yes, you've got two left. Where would you go for a mobile phone? Oh, yeah, the blooming um, phones for you. And the final one, uh, I think they, they would sell you a washing machine. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. Go on. And I was going to say this one earlier, and I, something else. I got excited. I remembered another one, so I said it instead. Um, Beko, Beko, whatever they're called. Beko, I call them. Beko was all, yeah. I, so, hey, that's not bad. <laughs> that isn't bad. Um, that's not bad. It wasn't methodical, but uh, it wasn't too bad. Just Well, just like Watford, isn't it? Sums us up all over the place, but we get there in the end, yes? Yes, in the end, we finally do. Of course, it wasn't easy, Mike, the first one with the Beko, if you were a child. You, you mentioned about Arlo not having, a, uh, having sponsors on it because of them... Uh, the types of companies that they were, um, the betting ones. Uh, but but if you wanted to get Iveco back in the day, it, it, it sort of dominated the, the top quite a lot, didn't it? So you had to take your shirt into the to the Hornet shop to have the, the lettering um, ironed on, much like um, much like Ollie creating his uh, T-shirts for his, for his sons. But um, yeah, so you had to have them ironed on, but they hadn't made the sponsors... Um, lettering in kid sizes, so you had it in the on the size that was designed for the <laughs> for the players' shirts, and so it obviously took up pretty much half of the uh, real estate of the shirt for it for a kid. So um, those shirts with uh, a very large Iveco printed across them, uh, I guess the uh, the truck company would have been uh, would have been very happy with that. What I love about these this sponsor is twofold really. One is the initial. Reticent, certainly the the reported initial reticence that that GT had to having having a sponsor on his uh, shirt. Um, I just love the fact that he sort of would have would have fought back against it and wouldn't have wanted to give away the sort of um, the holy grail of the shirt to to the corporate corporate dollar. Um, so I love the fact that he would have uh, refused it for a little while because we could have cashed in a, a couple of years earlier, couldn't we? We were starting to have a little bit of success around about the turn of the turn of the decade, and I'm sure there were there were opportunities and. GT dug his heels in, which I absolutely love. But they, but we talked earlier about sort of things being uh, evocative, and that this, just the sight of that Iveco lettering. It doesn't matter if you see it on the side of a, wherever you see it. If you're a Watford supporter, the first thing you think of is that amazing period of time in the in the 1980s. Perhaps unless you were a kid whose shirt was ruined by a three foot tall bit of felt lettering stuck across your um, not three foot tall, but it's probably what it felt like to a to a six year old back in the day. Um, it just seeing those that lettering, it just it just takes you back, doesn't it, to such a magical time uh, for Watford Football Club and seeing so many of those class players playing with that uh, with that uh, sponsor and blade across their, their chest so if a sponsor was going to go in it would uh, would have had to have been there the first one and uh, object number five is an Aveco truck object six object six is Callie's Dex now we've had Nigel Callahan on the podcast a couple of times he was quite a player but his career was a uh, maybe not cut short, but was definitely uh, changed uh, when he found a pair of decks. This is an interview that I did with him uh, about ten years ago, uh, where I spoke to him about those decks uh, and how he came to having a pair. Yeah, I started while I was playing football. We used to do all these presentations for the football clubs, you know, like can you present the medals tonight? Because basically, like 
it was mostly young young players at Watford and like people like Will Foster were all married like you know they sort of go no let the young lads do it so I went along with I think it was Kenny Steve Terry and someone else and Kenny Jackett's mate was DJ and he went oh, do you want to have a go on the decks Kenny and Kenny says no Caddy will have a go he's our music man he provides all the music on the coach so I went yeah yeah I'll have a go and I got up there and I pulled this really nice girl that night just from <laughs> being a DJ and I just thought yeah I'll have a bit more of this like, so uh, I just sort of carried on doing it Taylor knew that I was doing it and uh, I never sort of like if I'd done it it was, it was on a Saturday night which was okay and um, so it just became something that I, I, I got interested in and I wanted to see how good I could get really so you, you, do you reckon you'd get better girls DJ than you could being a footballer um, no I wouldn't say that <laughs> <laughs> so you've been DJ since you finished football have you sort of gave up football after the contract ran out of Villa because sort of like three of the worst years of my life up there just got to a point in my life where I'd had enough really and I just thought I could have four months off go to Corfu I've been over there before and get up when I want go out on a Friday if I want go and drink as much as I want and I came back from I came back in October obviously lost a lot of my fitness and Tom Wally he was at Millwall at the time he asked Mick McCarthy but it was alright I came in with him and done a bit of training so I sort of trained with Tom and the kids to start off with and as I got fitter and fitter Mick then sort of gave me a, a game in the reserves at Millwall and I started playing and, um, and then by the time sort of got to around about May time when the season's ending I was sort of just reaching my peak fitness so <laughs> It was a bit of catch-22, and Mick, Mick said, well, I can't offer you a contract, but if you stay and do pre-season, I might. And, and sort of with me being out of work at the time, and I'm thinking, well, if I, you know, I can earn money in Corfu, go and do that. And so I ended up going back to Corfu again. And then um, when I came back the following year, Tom Wally said, do you fancy going out to South Africa to play out there for four months, or three or four months? Um, so I ended up going out to South Africa, and that was the year of the inauguration with Nelson Mandela. So that was sort of quite a historic year, really. And then when I came back from that, I sort of it was going going back to Corfu, and uh, you know by now I'm 32, 33, and I'm just sort of thinking to myself, you know, I've either got to take the right road or the left road because as a footballer, how many years have you got left after 33? Nobody was taking me serious as a DJ while I was a footballer. They were going, no, oh, no, you're a footballer, stick to football. And I, so I wasn't even getting it. No doors were opening for me. So in the end, I just thought, well, I've got to finish football and look at making DJ in my career. And, and so I went down that way, really. And that's, that's how it all came about, really. When you look at your football career, when you, when you were here at Watford, what, was your, what do you think was your, your highlight there? Just so many, really. I mean, like, we was on a roller coaster for about four or five years, really. I mean, like, you know, when we obviously getting promoted to the, what's the Premier now, which was the first division, you know, that was unbelievable atmosphere afterwards. And obviously, um, I've got the, the first goal against Southampton, you know, you've got the first touch of the ball. And then, you know, you go, you go from getting into the first division to finishing runners up to Liverpool. And then the following year, we're in Europe for the first time ever and so that was a new experience and then you know sort of the year after that we're at the FA Cup final so it was just all happening. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do leaving Watford to go to Derby because you know it was the first first move that I'd ever made and, and he sort of dabbled Watford through and through and, and I, all I'd ever known was Watford. I'd grown up in Watford and so it was a really hard thing and uh, I suppose I when I went to Derby and got accepted by the fans straight away you know um, had two and a half really good years there and, you know you, when you come out of football you look back on the good things and you think yeah that, you know I had three bad years at Villa but 
the years I had at Watford and Derby mm. far outweigh the bad ones at Villa. Watford are known for being a young team with a lot of young players. You, you know, you you part of that first batch and came through what you know what is developed into the system that is now. What yeah. was, what was it like back then under, under Tom Wally? I was lucky because I got a kick up the arse before I even started with Watford because when I was at school and they had to decide who they were going to sign as apprentices, they actually rang my dad up and said, we don't think Nigel's strong enough at the moment and maybe he might be a late developer, but at the moment we're not going to sign him as an apprentice. And it just so happened that that week I was playing for the um, county side and I was captain and I played really well on the Wednesday and all the, all the you know, Bertie Mee was there, all the scouts were there and Tom Waddy just said to me the next day, he said, you were brilliant last night, I think you've changed their minds, and, and I did, and they, they signed me, and I think, sort of, having been told I weren't good enough before I started, and going into sort of pre-season, going into the pre-season, I was like, right, I'm going to show you. You've got, to have, you've got to have belief in yourself. We always had that belief in ourselves. I mean, Tom Wally put that into you, like, you know, because if you didn't have that belief, Tom, Tom would have steamrolled, you know, you'd have just gone under. So you mentally, it was tough having trained with Tom. And then obviously the way Graham run the club, I mean, you, you knew what you could do and what you couldn't do. And you never stepped out of line and you, you never overstepped the mark. So when, when we came into the side, it was all like, you know, yeah, we, we train with these lads every day. Why shouldn't we be in the first team? Why shouldn't we be against players like that? And it just went on from there, really. So object number six are Callie's decks. Object seven is a square programme. Square, I hear you ask. Why not should it be in a portrait, uh, which all the programmes pretty much I've ever seen anywhere were always. But the Watford programme of the 1980s, they were square. In fact, the very programme we're pushing into the list came to us from Anthony Packer. Dear boys, my suggestion for inclusion is the square programme for the Watford v Arsenal game dated the 30th of April 1983. The reasoning for this isn't because we won 2-1 with Barnes and Blissett scoring, but it was the day my sister was born, next door to Vicarage Road, in Shrodell's Hospital. Zoe Louise Packer was not only born weighing eight pounds one ounce with brown eyes, but she came into the world the instant Vicarage Road erupted as Watford scored. I managed to track down a programme for that day and brought it for her for Christmas recently. Cheers, Anthony. It, it, it's a great programme. It, it's of its time. There's a rundown about the 1983 London Marathon, which, which Graham Taylor ran to raise money for the family terrace. Uh, there's also, of course, a, a manager notes from Graham. And if you really want to find out a little bit more about Richard Jobson, there's an interview and a personal file on him. But the, the thing that really caught your eye earlier on, uh, Ollie, was, was an advert. And I shall read the headline, first of all. <clears throat> Join Pat Rice and his family in Torremolinos. <laughs> what, what, what would happen in Torremolinos? Pat Rice is staying with Holiday Club International at Torremolinos for two weeks from the 17th of June. Pat will be doing some football coaching during his stay and will be pleased to welcome all Watford supporters. <laughs> <laughs> Included in the price of the holiday, you'll find a feast of family enjoyment. Water sports and beach games by day, entertainment and discos by night. Even if you just laze around in the sun, the value's still superb. Well, just Pat Rice being there will just make that the most memorable holiday 
ever. There are some great things. And, and this is it's oldwatford.com. Uh, and do you know who runs it, Ollie? Robert. But he does such a fantastic job. Mm. What a fantastic resource this is. Everybody should go there. Um, every uh, old programs, old match reports, great games, photos. Just, it's a fantastic thing. And it's all done by date. So if you want a particular game, you can go back and, uh, you know, we're staring at this program, looking at picture of, uh, I think it's Ian Bowyer for Nottingham Forest alongside what looks a bit like Richard Jobson. But just memories, memories, memories by the page. It's fantastic. Yeah, there's all these, he's basically, um, he's scanned uh, old programmes and they're there for you to have a look through and find some absolute gems, uh, such as having a holiday with Pat. Rice. I can't I can't help but we've skimmed over a little bit of uh, Anthony's story there. What just what an absolutely extraordinary and magnificently Watford story that was. That, uh, that Anthony's uh, sister Zoe was born at the exact moment Watford scored. We did a little bit of digging, didn't we? Worked it out. And we thought it's going to be a Luther Blissett penalty um, that was hit in the back of the net round about four thirty when when Zoe was born. And doesn't that just sum it up perfectly? What Watford was about at that time, the sort of whole family ethos and the square programme like you say John it felt unique I know other clubs did have them at certain points but for us as supporters it did feel slightly different slightly unique and you know another sign that the club we supported was was different so linking that programme to that lovely family moment something that will never ever be forgotten Watford scoring Luther Watford's favourite son being the one to score it it just all ties up so beautifully so what a great story for um, for Anthony and his uh, his family and uh, what a perfect reason for putting that programme in and that's even before we mentioned Pat Rice and, and Tora Molino so yeah I, I love the square programmes so much and that and just that little story from Anthony just gives it that little bit bit extra for me absolutely brilliant Object 7 a square Watford programme Object 8 is the most controversial thing in Watford's fandom ever. Should they wear red or black shorts? The item we actually put into the list is a pair of tight red shorts. Now, Ollie, you write some uh, particularly interesting characters for Hornet Heaven. One being Henry Grover. How would Henry feel uh, about these tight red shorts? I know very clearly what Henry thinks about uh, red short. He's he's known it for a long time, and um, I've come across a commentary that he did uh, on a game from 1984, in which he refers to them. This is something uh, Ollie's been doing uh, during this uh, this uh, lockdown. You have to try and guess, Mike, which player Henry's commentary is about. Let's guess the goal scorer, Mike. Watford on the retreat, now in their red shorts, skimpy little things, just a wisp of material, loosely based on the red satin thongs that Elton wore on stage during this period, or so I'm told. Anyway, it's still nil-nil in this FA Cup quarter-final. Steve Sherwood has the ball now. Shirley punts it long. It's headed away, but sideways. The man with the shortest and, if I may speak frankly, bulgiest shorts of all, collects it. Two defenders converge on him. Goodness, he's juggled the ball past them like a magician. A particularly tight, shorted magician. He runs forward into the box. The ball sits up and, oh my lord, the dip on that. Tony Coton didn't stand a chance. 
Watford, in their saucy knickers, are well on their way towards Wembley. Mike, who do you reckon it is? Is it? It's got to be. It's, it's, it's Luther or John Barnes, isn't it? <laughs> but there are clues in there. Ball over the top of Tony Coton, FA Cup quarter final. Yeah, it was a man with the shortest and bulgiest shorts of all. It was against, it was against Birmingham, John Barnes. It was John Barnes. Very, very good. Mike, where, where are you? Red, black shorts. Where, where are you in the, in the, the big debate? Well, as you all know, I'm at uh, the cutting edge of uh, sartorial elegance at all times. Um, there is something about the black that I do like. The sort of, I just like the, the the sort of sleekness of the of the black. But I also like the boldness of the red. And red does feel a little bit more Watfordy to me. Perhaps I'm thinking, you know, I'm speaking into a red microphone now, set against the the yellow logo, the yellow from the Rookery and logo. And I don't know if I had to choose one, I'd go with red. I'd go with red. Well, unfortunately, we haven't had red for a very long time, uh, but you never know. It might come back at some point very soon. So the pair of very tight red shorts from the 1980s are is number eight. Two to go on this episode. Objects nine. Steve Palmer's shirts, the many, many shirts that he won. Now, we actually had two different objects we wanted to put in or possibly put in for Steve. The first one, or maybe the first 14, being all the shirts that he wore. The other one was a certain bong. And when we caught up with Steve at the Selco Masters many, many years ago, about 10 years ago, uh, we had to ask him about both these objects. And there's one thing that someone suggested to us was to, to induct Steve Palmer's bong. Your old, uh, your, the, the old child, how when you heard that sort of a chant coming across, how, what was your reaction when you first heard that? I think it was just a bit of fun, it was all good natured, um, you know, I needed something to rhyme with my name, <laughs> and um, you know, I took it in good part. There was one, uh, I'm blind, desperate, and stupid, or whatever it was, it was a fanzine then, and I remember there was a game at, at Southampton, and I was obviously running up and down in my usual sort of effort and got a bit near tired near the end. And the headline was Smoker Runs Out of Pub. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I thought that was very good. So, yeah, and, if, and if we asked you to put one object in apart from your bong into 100 yeah. objects, you could put, would it 14 or 15 I'll say, shirts? I put the shirts in, in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How many different numbers was it you wore that season? I think it was 1 to 15, it was 15. in those days. Yeah. What, at what point in the season did you go, well, at some point you're going to have to go in goal? Was there a point that season? Oh, well, it wasn't me that sort yeah. of had that thing, but it was four or five games from the end I think people popped onto it and Graham was very much up for that sort of thing it was so. quite brave because there was still the title riding on that game weren't there the Bournemouth game yeah yeah, yeah was, I think we got promoted that night even possibly I think, or, no, yeah. but it was quite important for us already up I think we sat to, yeah, to win it was to, quite well yeah. contrived the circumstances yeah. <laughs> so, uh, was there a helping hand from the opposition then it was a range that we'd have the kickoff and we'd oh, okay. into the stand. Oh, okay. But the question is, who would look more out of place, me in goal or Alex at centre half? <laughs> so we're not we're not going to put in because uh, of Steve's request. We're not going to put in the the bong uh, into the list, but we are going to put the fourteen shirts in. And it, and it is Mike a feat that can never ever happen again. Well, for two reasons, really. Firstly, just the advent of squad numbers means that if you're going to wear every single squad number in a season, well, you can do the maths. It's going to be very, very, very difficult. But I think the thing that's most fascinating, and I think I've got this right, and Ollie, Ollie will probably step in if it's if it's wrong, but the, the last shirt that, that Steve Palmer had to wear was unsurprisingly the, the number one shirt. 
and he wore that in a home game against Bournemouth. My understanding is that there was an agreement before the game, I think with the with the agreement of the of the referee as well, that Watford would kick off, forfeit the choice of end, so effectively fix the toss, which wouldn't be allowed anymore, which would allow Steve Palmer to go in goal, start in number one, Watford to win the toss, kick the ball straight out, allowing Steve Palmer to change into a, a more appropriate shirt. And this was all agreed before the game with Bournemouth and the and the ref, but there's no way on earth I don't think that you'd you'd get away with um with anything like that these days so yeah just to to, to get it done was just a feat of um sort of engineering if you like the way they managed to to, to get through all those those shirts it, it it speaks to to graham taylor's sense of fun a little bit doesn't he we get, we get he gets a lot of praise for sort of these being strict and the the discipline side of things but he obviously had a sense of fun he obviously saw an opportunity here probably for a bit of good media coverage for watford and a, and a good steel story for steve palmer to tell when he's out but yeah he wore every shirt from one all the way through to 14 in that in that incredible season and that photo of him posing in front of them sort of brings it home doesn't it just quite what a uh, an achievement it was I'm sure Steve Palmer would argue it's not his greatest achievement in football but it's it's certainly a curate's egg isn't it but uh, yeah I love the story that we had to uh, we do a deal with Bournemouth before the before the game to, to allow it to happen so even back then Bournemouth were playing a big part in our in our history weren't they by the way there's a feature on Steve Palmer in the next volume of the Watford Treasury, including a, a section on Steve and the 14 shirts, which would be good for people to read about. There's some fantastic extra detail that uh, we've got from him on it as well in an interview we've done recently. Apparently, it was by the end of March, uh, he'd got 11 of them done. And the 12th shirt, which was number seven for uh, statistics fans, was ticked off at an away game at Wigan in early April. So it was building nicely. As the, as the season finished. Object or objects for number nine is Steve Palmer's shirt from one to 14. Object 10. Final object for this episode is the Watford Observer Clock. Object number 10. Now, we found this object uh, about nine years ago, thanks to Sarah Priestley from Watford Museum. Uh, and at that point, it was hidden deep in the stores at the museum. And we chatted to Sarah to find out how it got there. So where, where are we? We're in the archaeology store at Watford Museum. Okay. The Watford Observer Clock doesn't count as archaeology. However, because of its large size, it doesn't actually fit into one of our object stores in the museum store. So this is our secret hideout for other objects. We've had it for nearly 10 years now, but it was it's kind of moved around the various okay. different stores. We got a phone call from some football fans to say that it was actually bound behind the back of the rookery. Some people from Watford Football Club checked it out for us and found it, and we were able to borrow it for football exhibitions we had here except Paddy Flavin who was the groundsman at the time wasn't too keen on it returning so we've kind of kept it down here for safekeeping for the time being it's not officially ours though we're just custodians for the time being right let's get it let's have a look at it then from where it was when we met Sarah it went over to the Red Lion uh, when that was relaunched and it lived in there for a while Uh, but uh, after that changed hands uh, it was taken back to the museum where you can now find it Uh, and you can go see it when it reopens if you've never seen what is basically Ollie a piece of large metal uh, in the shape of an O and it's a bit rusty and if a fan of any other football club would look at it and would think it's it's a bit rubbish but it isn't it's our rubbish <laughs> and uh, what is it, what is it there's legend of of a goal uh, scored by bouncing off the of the clock what what do you know of this 
<laughs> this may or may not have happened. Oh, but please but, let it happen. Okay, I'm going to tell you that this definitely happened. There was a Tuesday night match, the 11th of March 1969, between Watford and Tranmere Rovers. It was a blustery night. I think Tranmere went one up, and I think Tom Wally equalised. And then Stuart Scullion got the ball on the right, and he crossed it. And Brian Owen hurriedly took a shot. And it hit a defender's leg and ballooned in the air. And it's it's difficult to describe quite how high it ballooned. A couple of people have said that they were standing in the rookery that night and it went out of view above the stand. Other people thought it was destined for the allotments. The ball boy, who was Ken Furphy's son, Keith Furphy, thought he was going to get under it. So he was running around behind the goal shouting, I got it, I got it, I got it. It was definitely, definitely going behind the goal because Jim Coombs, who was the Tranmere goalkeeper, went round the side of his goal to go and fetch it. However, suddenly everybody noticed that the ball was descending and it was still in play. Whether it actually was the wind or whether it had bounced off the Watford Observer clock, it's unclear because it wasn't televised in those days. So I'm telling you that here and now, it must definitely have bounced back off the Watford Observer clock. Jim Coombs very late realises that he's off the pitch and the ball is back in play. He runs back around the post, dives across his goal, it hits his arm, hits the post, it goes in and Watford 2-1 up. Brian Owen has put us in the lead. Just a few weeks later, we clinched promotion to the second division for the first time ever. It's a famous, famous Watford goal. And we have, I, in my view, we have the Watford Observer clock to thank for it. We need Johnny Phillips from Sky to commentate on this. Oh, I, I, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. Watford have scored. And it's, the, it's, it's the clock. It's the clock that's got it. I mean, what, a, what an incredible story. And I think from... So many of us, certainly me, growing up um, standing on the on the on the family terrace. Basically, if you were positioned in three sides of, of Vicarage Road, if that's where you spent your, if you didn't stand in the rookery, basically, um, back when the uh, back when the rookery stand was a terrace and split between away fans and uh, and some Watford fans, you would have spent a lot of time looking at that clock. It would have been in your line of vision uh, for so many so many minutes of your Watford supporting uh, supporting life. It's uh, I don't know, is it the most viewed, the most looked at clock in Hertfordshire you'd have to you'd have to imagine so uh, but Ooh. yeah it was great to uh, it was great to st- and it is big we stood we stood next to it when we saw it in that storeroom and just sort of cozying up to it it was uh, it was quite a moment I felt it was just being so close to something you've sort of looked at so much usually wishing that the game was uh, game was going to be drawing to a close but yeah quite a uh, quite a famous clock and little did I know it was a goal scoring clock makes it even uh, <laughs> even uh, even better that was the clock and the time at one end of the pitch there was something else with the other in the pitch but that's for a future object thank you so much for listening to this first edition of us of relaunching and, and going through the list of 100 Watford objects if you have an object that you think deserves to be in this list there is still plenty of space get in touch at Watford Podcast on Instagram Twitter and on Facebook but of course you can always email us podcast at from the the personal ones are by far the best ones and we hope to share more of them with you in the next few weeks here on from the recurrent as the season is still and will be for a little bit on pause ollie you're a big part of the treasury team the magazine that comes out three times a season if everyone hasn't picked it up 
Firstly, shame on you, but what is the Treasury? The Treasury is a visual history of Watford Football Club. Uh, So it started by Colin Payne, uh, who edited fanzines in the past. He wanted to put together something that would be a much more visual thing. And we've managed to locate some fantastic things. We've managed to locate memorabilia, whole photo archives from the Watford Observer and the Watford Museum. People have been coming forward with stuff for us to write about. It's been amazing. And I, I, I... I hesitate to say I'm any kind of expert on this because from uh, getting involved with the Treasury team, I, I've realised just how much more other people know about this kind of stuff um, and how what enthusiasms they have for so many different aspects of uh, being a Watford fan. So Mike was talking there about uh, being a Watford fan not just lasting from 3 o'clock till 4.45 even though I do wish sometimes it did stop at 4.45 and didn't go on till 4.55. <laughs> We've got people in the team who are absolutely passionate about match-worn football shirts, for example, or pin badges or club crests or the history of the supporters' club. Just fantastic areas of interest that people get really, really caught up in. And it's, it's utterly inspiring to have met all these people who, I'm going to use the word, get off uh, on so many different aspects of supporting a football club. Well, looking at it as well, I've got to say, from a visual point of view, when you have this thing in your hand, it is absolutely beautiful to look at. And some of the some of the pictures, most of which a lot of people won't have, have ever seen before, they've, they've been sort of dug out from various places, as as Ollie says. But just looking at it back, it's so evocative um, to look at the, these pictures. And I, there's nothing more exciting to me than seeing, a, a, a picture that you haven't seen from when you started going. So for me, that was sort of uh, in, the, in the mid-80s. But then also seeing past that and seeing some of these incredible... Fo- the photos from from earlier on in in Watford's history it really is a a treat for the for the eyes and uh, if anyone hasn't managed to get hold of one please please make sure you do i think they're available uh, via you can stick some uh, you can you can order them um, online can't you Wally? and i think there's a uh, there's an online uh, online version made available as well is that correct the main magazine is available by mail order from thewatfordtreasury.co.uk um, and while there's no football we've been producing uh, just a short online magazine uh, called Home Tide, uh, which we're producing every fortnight, although we're going to print a few copies of that if people are interested in in it as well, because people do love to have the, the physical thing to drool over because we've got some amazing pictures. Thank you very much, Ollie. You're welcome. And uh, we'll speak again soon. And thank you, Mike. An honour and a privilege, John. Uh, and thanks again for listening to From the Recruit during this pause in the season. And we hope that these podcasts are a little bit of a break uh, from what is going on in the world. And we really hope, and clearly from your reaction, enjoyed Colin's commentary of Watford against Leicester. That didn't actually happen, but man, did he make it feel like it happened. You can still listen to that podcast, the live commentary of Watford against Leicester. But we're back very soon with more from Watford in 100 Objects. Come on, you all! (laughs) 